wow, I've so enjoyed this series on angels. If I made any mistake with this series, it's making it too short. Because as I've studied the Bible and continue to read about angels, I discover it's such a huge topic and it probably deserves a lot more attention than we've given to it. But we've looked at two verses and we'll continue to do it even on Christmas Eve. Two verses that tell us what angels do. One verse kind of gives us heaven's perspective on what angels do. And the other verse gives us sort of our perspective on it. Let me give you the first one. In Psalm 103, verse 20, the Bible says, Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones, who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Several times in the Bible, we are given a depiction of the throne of God and the angels surrounding the throne. And I know there have been artistic representations of that, but those artistic representations have to, by definition, fall very short. Because scripture tells us that there are not only millions of angels around the throne of God, there are many millions of angels around the throne of God. It is a massive presentation. We see that, well, Psalms tells us that it's true, but we see that in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is allowed to see the throne and he sees God and he sees the, the angels around singing holy, holy, holy. And then you also see it in the book of Ezekiel. You go over to Revelation chapters 4 and 5, and you see the same thing. There's the throne of God and many, many millions of angels. And the Bible tells us the angels are around the throne listening for his commands and carrying out, executing his commands. Jesus added something sort of interesting to this. When the disciples tried to shoo children away, and Jesus said, you guys don't understand, their angels have front row seats in heaven. So that's very interesting. But the second verse gives us our perspective on engaging angels. This is in Hebrews chapter one. The Bible says the angels are spirit messengers sent out to help and care for those who are to receive his salvation. So that means if you are a Christ follower, or even if you will be a Christ follower someday, God knows that. You may, you may be a non-theist here today, but God knows down the road you're going to connect with him. Even now, even if you're not even a believer, God is sending his angels to watch over you. One of the things that's been a delight in the series is to hear stories from New Springers just from their lives or from the lives of their family. And I've heard so many that I wish we could just put them all in a catalog. But with your permission today, I would like to share a couple of these stories. And beyond that, I'd like to read these stories in the words of the person who shared these with me. Um, first of all, a little history. I know that history is not taught as much as I wish it were today, but uh, a little history from what happened after World War II. Uh, the allies uh, that won the war uh, were very different. You had the Western powers, you had the United States, Great Britain, Australia, and other Western nations. You also had the Soviet bloc. And after World War II, Europe was basically divided between the Soviet bloc and the Western nations. And that, of course, is what gave rise to ultimately the Cold War. In the years after World War II, though, the communists had a problem that communists always have. By the way, democracies do not have to build walls to keep people in. The communists had to. And what happened, especially in Germany, is Germany was divided between ultimately what would be East Germany and West Germany. East Germany was Soviet. West Germany was a democracy. But Berlin, the capital of Germany, was inside East Germany. But the understanding after World War II was that it would be something of an international city. But the communists had an issue. Their best and brightest, their top 
physicians, top surgeons, top uh, engineers, just, just their best and brightest, of course, for leaving the communist world and going over into the Western world. And so let me just pick it up at that point because this new Springer begins to write. On November 10th, 1958, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev delivered a speech in which he demanded that the Western powers of the United States, Great Britain, and France pull their forces out of West Berlin within six months. This ultimatum sparked a three-year crisis over the future of the city of Berlin that culminated in 1961 with the building of the Berlin Wall. Some of us who are a little younger will remember Ronald Reagan standing there saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Others of us who love history can remember video that was shot of the wall right after it was put up and East Germans trying to escape and watching their clothing get caught on the wires and being shot. In fact, at Checkpoint Charlie, you had which was like the main crossing. You had Soviet tanks and U.S. tanks just within a few feet of each other. My grandmother, excuse me, <clears throat> my grandmother was arrested in 1962 and thrown in an East Berlin prison. No food, no water, no light, no facilities. She was stripped of everything except her Bible, which she refused to let go of. And Randy writes, she is the most spiritual person I ever knew. Her faith in Jesus was unmatched. On the third day in prison, there was a knock on her door, and a soft voice says, if you want to leave, we need to go now. So, of course, she leaves with three people. After hours of crawling through sewers, tunnels, and trap doors, she ends up on the west side of the wall. Many years later, my father asked her of this experience, and he asked, who were those people? She said, I don't really know who they were. Well, were they all men, women? Her response was, I can't really tell you for sure. What do they look like? I don't know what they look like. Did they stay with you when you got to West Berlin? Nope, they just left without saying anything at all. Dad got a little frustrated and said, well, what do you know? Her response, well, all I know is they had a glow about them. I love that story. One of my best friends here at New Spring is Dr. Joe Beck. He's a retina surgeon, and he's on our advisory council here at New Spring. Joe's taken many missions trips, and I've heard him tell this story several times to me, but I asked him to write it because I wanted to share it with you. Joe was taking a mission trip to the South American country of Colombia, which is a really dangerous place, and they needed a retina-trained MD for some particular procedures, and so Joe agreed to go. But because it was such a dangerous place, Marion didn't, he, he didn't let Marion go with him because he was afraid for her safety. But he was told, and all the other surgeons were told when they got there, that they were to go straight to the makeshift clinic and straight back. No deviations, no variations. It was a dangerous place to be. They were to get straight to the clinic and get straight back. But for all of us who know Joe, he is, and he is a friend, uh, Joe's a little bit on the freelancing side. And so he decided that what he was going to do was to go work out. And he went along with another surgeon, a young cataract surgeon. Well, he writes, we took a wrong turn, and this is on the way back from working out, we took a wrong turn and our efforts to get back on track just made things worse. The light was fading fast as we found ourselves on a narrow cobblestone road in downtown Buenaventura. Doorways and alcoves dotted the seamless buildings lining the street. We looked at each other and admitted we were very lost. 
Now, Joe, when he writes to me, he puts in the medicalese terms, especially when he writes about eyes. So I'll give you that before I read the next line. Stuck in the phase where photoreceptor cones are offline and rods struggle in light, late twilight, we begin to perceive what appeared to be multiple bodies moving slowly but steadily from both sides of the street. They spoke in a foreign tongue concertedly. Now surrounded, my heart pounded between my sternum and my thoracic spine. Every sense was dialed up to 150%. My partner whispered, I guess this is it. But the ominous dark figures froze in their tracks. Almost simultaneously, we were confronted by the blue guy, a translucent man with impeccable grooming and wearing a beautifully fitted three-piece suit. If you ever wonder what angels wear, this is what Joe says. A beautifully fitted three-piece suit suddenly appeared standing two to three feet from us. His combed white hair was markedly offset by his soft electric blue glow. As he, and he stood approximately six feet tall. Guys, what are you doing? Was the first words he uttered. You know you're not supposed to move around separate from the team. You're putting the entire project at unnecessary risk. One of us, I don't recall who, stammered, we're lost and we don't know how to get, get back. The blue man pointed the direction to the compound and the ring of dark figures parted. As we exited the circle, our pace picked up steadily until we were running. Did you just see what I saw? Yep, he was really blue. <laughs> the way back seemed very easy to navigate as if we had made the run many times. The local who manned the compound gate during daytime hours was standing ready to receive us. And Joe adds, this is a true and accurate account of my arrogant deviation from team protocol. I think it would be easy for someone who is a skeptic to listen to this and say, well, these are highly suggestible people, and yet they are some of the top professionals in our city. See, here is the thing, and this is what gets me about this series on angels. I think Satan suppresses these stories because it's, it's an easy way for him to convince silly people that the supernatural doesn't exist. As if to say, if I haven't encountered it, then it does not exist, which is a particularly strange threshold to apply to truth. So today, I, I wish we could talk more and more about these, but this is a Christmas series, and I have about 15 minutes left in this message. So today, I want to bring you a message that is about the Christmas season. Now, on Christmas Eve, we will talk about the night that Jesus was born and the angels, but I want to back up a few months because the angels came from heaven to prepare the key players, and that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, the title of today's message is Angel Advance Team. Now, you probably know the term, advanced team. It's a term that's known in entertainment. It's a term that's known in business. It's known in the corporate world. What happens is when a new culture comes into an old culture, the old culture is not ready to receive the new culture. And so an advanced team will come in to say, a new culture is coming to town, and this is how we see things, this is how we think, this is how we talk. This is how we do things. I know I was reading recently about the Billy Graham Crusades. Billy Graham preached a more 
people than anyone else in history. And there were crusades all over the world. And months before the Billy Graham team would come in for the crusade, they would bring in an advance team to say, this is what we do and this is how we function. And they would work with churches and religious groups in the community to say, this is how our culture looks at things and this is how we do it. Some of you are part of a company that was bought by another company. And the new company had their own culture. And they sent in a lead team to say, this is how we see things. This is how we do things. This is how we talk. This is how we think. <laughs> I don't know anything really internally about the Chick-fil-A culture, but it's very clear Chick-fil-A has a culture. And it was just a few years ago that Chick-fil-A opened their first store here in Wichita. And I'm betting that they sent in an advanced team from corporate to say, you know, even if you've worked at Burger Barn in the past, you need to understand that Chick-fil-A has a different culture. This is how we think. This is how we talk. This is how we do things. This is how we operate. And if this old culture doesn't accept the new culture, then we can't function here. Well, what I find extremely beautiful about the story of Jesus' birth is that the angels became an advanced team because never was there such a marked difference between an old culture and a new culture than when heaven came to earth. When Jesus came into our world, everything was different because Jesus came from heaven. The Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And that's true. But what a difference heaven's culture is to earth's culture. And so the angels became the lead team, the advanced team, and they came in to talk to certain locals who were going to be major players. And they basically said, you have to understand heaven is coming to earth. We're a different culture. This is how we think. This is how we talk. This is how we do things. And we can't operate here if you don't buy into the new culture. Now, for a few moments, I want to just show you this lead team, this advanced team of angels as they talk to three key players. We're going to take them chronologically. The first player is an older man, an elderly man perhaps, named Zechariah, who is not part of the immediate family of Jesus. His son will be a cousin. But Zechariah is a priest. His wife is up in years. They've not been able to conceive and an angel is going to come and talk to him because really, that's the opening salvo. That's the beginning of the culture shift. Not long after that, an, an angel, the most prominent angel, Gabriel, is going to come and talk to a young woman who has never been with a man sexually. And the angel is going to tell the woman who ultimately will be Jesus' mother what heaven's culture needs from her. The third person the third local that the angel advance team is going to talk to is a man. His name is Joseph, and he is engaged to the young woman. And so I want you to look at the message that the angel has for each one of these players as the angel comes in to say, this is how we think, this is how we do things, this is how we talk, this is how we operate. If you don't join us in this operation, we won't be able, we won't be able to bring in this paradigm shift. Watch something really interesting. I'm going to start with Zechariah. By the way, these two chapters, the, the story of Jesus is only in, uh, of the birth of Jesus is only in two out of the four gospels, Matthew and Luke. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter one, if you want to know where this is. The first person is Zechariah, the priest. Look at this, verse 13, Luke chapter one. And the angel said, don't be afraid. Okay, Luke 1.30, Mary 
Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Joseph. And the angel said, don't be afraid. You're getting kind of a theme here. When the angels came to earth to prep the major players about this change of cultures, the angel says to Zechariah, don't be afraid. The angel says to Mary, don't be afraid. The angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid. That's tantamount to saying, where we come from, fear is not part of the equation. Now, you live in a broken world where bad things happen, and fear is just a natural, a, a natural progression there. I mean, and that's true for all of us. That is why we fear. We live in a broken world. Sin has made a broken world. People do bad things. Bad things happen. Fear just is part of what we experience. But the angel said, you have to understand, we come from a place where nobody is afraid. Because up in heaven, it's a perfect place with a perfect God. And, and how many of us, when we come to church, we feel that disconnect? You come and you hear about a God who loves you, but you walk out of this building and you go back into a very imperfect world. You know what's strange about that? Both things are real. It's real that we live in a flawed, broken world with a lot of pain. It is real that we come and hear about a perfect God. Both things are true. They're not mutually exclusive. It's just that heaven and earth are very different places. So the angel came and said, before we can operate in your town and before you can join us in this work that we're going to be doing with God coming into the world, we're going to have to get you to buy into a, a heavenly philosophy, which is don't be afraid. For the next few moments, I want to show you the messages to these three individuals. And here's what's going to be really interesting. They're going to tile. They're going to... They're going to evolve. We're, we're going to start with the message to Zechariah, but it's like when the angel goes to Mary, it's like Zechariah's message and one more. And then when the angel comes to Joseph, it's going to be like Zechariah's message and Mary's message and one more. You ready? We'll go through this quickly. Here is Zechariah. Don't be afraid to encounter God. Let's just give a little bit of the background story. Zechariah is going to get to do something that is a lifelong dream. He's a priest, and hey, the ultimate thing a priest can do is to actually go into the temple and burn incense. But there are thousands of priests, and the likelihood of getting to do this one time in your life is pretty weak. Zechariah is getting his opportunity in a lifetime. He's going to go into the temple, and he's going to burn incense. It is the highest moment of his life. And there are all kinds of people outside waiting for him to perform this task. But surprise, Zechariah gets in the temple, and it's like while he's there, there's an angel standing there. Zechariah hasn't counted on this. Let's read what happens. The Bible says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel, here's our statement. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Well, in this particular case, God is going to tell Zechariah through the angel that they're going to have a baby. Now, that's kind of freaky for an up-in-ears couple, you know? Some of you who are in your 60s are going to go buy stuff from Target and Walmart. You're going to buy baby stuff, but it's because you're giving to Project Generosity. But now, all of a sudden, Zechariah gets this message from heaven that they're going to have a baby. Now, what do I draw from that? 
Because we, are, we know that the seedbed message is don't be afraid. But let's expand that a little bit. Zechariah is being told, don't be afraid to encounter God. Normally, when I use the term religion, I use it in a negative context. Today, I want to use religion in its best context. And by that, I mean just religious practices like attending church, praying, listening to Christian music, reading Christian books. All those things are real good. But have, have you ever realized that they're a little bit different from really encountering God in your life? And you know what? There are many of us who love to sing and we love to pray and we love to listen to messages, but there's a little bit of fear of what would, I, what would happen to me if I really encountered God? I mean, what if I really experienced God's presence in my life? And the reason why we're afraid, kind of like Zechariah was afraid, is we know there's a lot of junk that's wrong in our lives. I want to give you one of the most important lessons that God ever taught this human being who's standing before you. You never have to be afraid of God if you are humble. Let me say that one more time. It's one of the most important concepts I'll ever give you. Somebody will say, well, Mark, I'd be kind of scared to like meet God. I mean, because I've done this and I've done that and I've failed here and I promised this. Here's the thing about God. There is no place in scripture where anyone ever in the Bible asked to be forgiven. And God said, no. God will always lovingly meet a humble person. And so the first lesson that we pick from the angel advance team is to Zechariah, don't be afraid to encounter God. If we had an action point today, I would just say, give God a chance. I mean, how many of us here today would be willing or watching online, how many of us would be willing to say, God, I want to know you, I want to encounter you. It isn't just enough for me to sing and to listen to sermons. I wanna know and feel your presence. Well, the second person is perhaps the most well-known of all, and that's Mary. The angel appears to Mary, and his, his message to Mary was, don't be afraid to encounter God, but now God adds something. God's basically saying to Mary through the angel, don't be afraid of God's plan for your life. Hey, Mary had a plan. We read about that in Luke 127. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. She's got a wedding schedule. It's on the calendar. She's engaged to a great guy named Joseph. And he's not rich. He's a blue-collar guy. Joseph is not an Armani guy. He is a Wranglers and plaid, plaid flannel shirt guy. But he's a good guy. And both Mary and, and Joseph are descendants of King David. So even though they're unimportant in the world's way of looking things and poor, Mary's excited. She has a plan. She's going to get married. <laughs> they're going to, like, raise a little family and live out their lives. But along comes the angel and says to Mary, you are highly favored and you're going to have a baby. And Mary's like, I don't know how I can have a baby because I have never been with a man sexually. Which, by the way, let me point to that for a moment. There are those who look at the story of the virgin birth of Jesus and they will say, that is biologically impossible. To which I would say, duh. <laughs> Hence the point. God's like, one baby's going to come in the world and be different from every other baby. I mean, I would make the point that the first human beings got here without a human father or human mother. But in any event, uh, Mary, of course, is not, she's not like you and me that are just like hearing this reported. She's at ground zero, and the angel comes in and says, surprise, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary's like, I don't know about that. In fact, look at verse 29 of Luke 1. Confused and disturbed. <laughs> Isn't that our... Isn't that our reaction most of the time when God changes plans, our plans? 
Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great. He'll be called the son of the most high. Mary said, but I don't know how this can happen. I'm a virgin. And then the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of God will overshadow you. Well, you could be listening to me preach the sermon and you're like, Mark, I don't really know how this applies to me because this kind of thing with Mary was kind of a one and done thing. And, but here's the thing that I've discovered. At the moment when you really begin to encounter God, God will change your plans. Are you cool with that? He changed mine. When I was in high school, <laughs> I wanted to be an attorney and go into broadcast journalism. God had a different plan. You saw Dan Kubish on stage a few moments ago. Dan Kubish is regarded as one of the greatest church leaders in America. I met Dan in 1987 looking for a car. Dan's dad had come into our area to pastor a church, and Dan and Debbie moved to Wichita so that they could help his dad, and he got a job selling cars. I'm looking for an automobile in July of 1987, and out walks this country boy, and we shake hands, and I think, I hope God kept that on videotape, because all the things that we've done together in ministry throughout all these years, I think back about how God came along and said to Dan and Debbie, don't be afraid if I change your plans. And now we're going to look at the last message. And by the way, let's just go back to Mary for a moment. If we had an action point, let's just use Mary's words. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And I want that to be my statement. May everything God wants in my life come true. Let's talk about Joseph for just a moment because Joseph's really in a hard spot. He's engaged to Mary. And now the word comes to him that Mary's pregnant. And in Joseph's mind... He knows he's not the father of the baby. He has been a man of honor. He's not slept with Mary. The only thing that can be the reason behind Mary being pregnant is a bad thing. And so we read about Joseph when we first meet him. He's sitting down, mulling over what to do about the situation. And by the way, he has three options, just FY. Joseph can marry Mary. Go ahead and marry her. Secondly, he can take her to the city hall and throw her down in front of everybody and say, I was engaged to her in good faith, which by the way, engagement in those days was just as binding as marriage legally. He could have thrown her down and said, she's been unfaithful to me. And Mary, according to the law, would have been stoned to death. Third thing is he could just decide quietly to end the engagement so that there would not be a scandal. So Joseph is sitting down thinking these things over he does not want to marry Mary because she's been unfaithful, but he doesn't want Mary to be stoned to death. And so he's decided, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, just to put her away quietly. But along comes the angel in verse 20. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's going to have a son. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. By the way, have you ever looked at a crush or nativity scene and seen Joseph and kind of think, what's the point of Joseph? Because everybody else is doing something. Mary's just given birth. Shepherds are coming to visit Jesus because the angels talk to them. The wise men are coming. They're bringing their gifts. The cattle are lowing, whatever that means. <laughs> and over in the corner, there's a little kid playing a drum solo. So, I mean, you know, you're just like, what is the deal with Joseph? 
hey, think about something for a moment. Suppose Joseph tries to get his pound of flesh and throws Mary down at the city hall and she gets stoned to death carrying her, your Savior in her body. The next time you think Joseph might not be all that important, you might want to rethink that. So what is God's message for Joseph? It's like, Joseph, don't be afraid if God's plans don't make sense. Don't be afraid if God's plans look upside down. Let me put this in more vernacular. Joseph, don't be afraid if following God makes you look silly or ridiculous. Well, when you encounter God, he will change your plans. And when he changes your plans, the rest of the world may look at you when you follow God and think, that person is silly. That person is backward. That person is politically incorrect. And the angel is coming to Joseph saying, all these things are going to happen to you. I would point out that when the angel came to tell Joseph that the baby was conceived by God, God didn't ride it in the sky for everybody else in town to see. Joseph had to recognize that in order to fulfill this special role, he was going to have to be willing to look a little silly. Which, by the way, one of the things I love about Joseph, and, and he's one of my favorite characters in the, in the Bible, talking about the New Testament, Joseph. There's something beautiful about his personality that I sincerely crave in my life. Every other time the angel visited in this advanced team, there was a little pushback. Zechariah said, I don't really believe this. How can I know it's true? And the angel said, okay, you won't talk for nine months, which is kind of rough on a preacher. And Mary, we don't blame her, but Mary said, how can this be? And the angel said, well, and he answered her question. But with Joseph, every time the angel of God tells him to do something, he just does it. You know, Joseph is a carpenter. There's straight lines in his business, but what's beautiful, there's straight lines in his following God. Look at this real quickly. And the angel said, don't be afraid to get married, to marry, call the baby Jesus. Matthew 1, 24, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded, took Mary his wife, Joseph named him Jesus. Matthew 2, 13, the angel came to Joseph in a dream, get up, go to Egypt with the child and his mother, stay there till I tell you to return. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary and stayed there. Matthew 2, 19, when Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother back to the land of Egypt. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. You seeing a trend there? God says to Joseph, do something. Joseph said, straight lines, just do it. Just do it. To every person in this room who is a Christ follower, if you encounter God, he will change your plans and you will look backward to the rest of the world. Can you live with that? Because I just don't know of any way of following God if you can't look foolish in this world because of what God says. Do you know, I'll close with this. Do you know what makes us look foolish following God to this world? It's that humans can't know the future. If we could know the future, if we had God's perspective, which clearly we do now as we look back on Zechariah and Joseph and Mary, and it all makes perfect sense to us in retrospect. And that's just the thing. In our times, if we could, if we could see the future, following God would make more sense than anything else in the, world, in the world. Let me give you an illustration of that. Suppose you could time travel, and you time travel back 
1975. And while you're there, you make friends, and a friend comes to you and says, I just inherited a ton of money, and I don't know how to invest it. And you said to your friend, I know how you should invest all of your money. First of all, you need to get on a plane and fly to Los Altos, California, and go to 2066 Chris Drive. There you're going to find a college dropout in his parents' garage building computer circuit boards. His name is Steve. When he gets through with his project, he's going to call it an apple. Give him all your money. (laughs) Can you imagine how silly that would have sounded in 1975? Do you know how brilliant it sounds in 2019? That's what I'm talking about. God, the angels came to be the advance team. And God is like saying, okay, a new culture is coming to the earth and this is how we think and this is how we talk and this is how we do things. And if you don't buy into the culture, then you can't be part of what's going on. But for all of us who will listen, God is saying, don't be afraid. Fear is not part of our culture. Don't be afraid to really encounter God. Don't be afraid if God changes your plans. And don't don't be afraid of looking silly because someday you'll look like the smartest person in the room. I love this beautiful thought. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take it and tailor it to your life. Thanks for being here. See you Christmas Eve.